0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In this morning's Gospel, we have a series of dialogues and questions, and even a few warnings crammed into this short passage. One of the things we know and will come to learn about Mark as a gospel writer is that he sometimes layers stories and parables on top of each other so that even if two or uh, three things seem unrelated, Mark is actually telling us that they are indeed related. That is part of what is occurring here. Let's pull back that first layer. Many people including members of Jesus's family believe that he is besides himself that he has lost his mind We might say that Jesus has experienced a nervous breakdown or a psychotic break Or we could be tempted to say that Jesus is exhibiting signs of a mental illness like a schizophrenia or something similar to bipolar These are the modern-day equivalents of what they may have been thinking And why are they concerned? From the opening of this gospel, Mark has shown us a Jesus who has been baptized, tempted in the desert, associating with fishermen, teaching in a synagogue at Capernaum, healing people afflicted with various diseases, speaking with and casting out demons and unclean spirits, calling a tax collector, To come and follow him he's forgiven the sins of a paralytic man and then told that man to take up his mat and walk and probably worst of all he healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day Jesus is doing things that no one in their right mind would attempt or would do publicly and for some this is starting to be deeply concerning. Now, if we dig down a little deeper, we have another conversation about who the real family of Jesus is. Once again, our modern reading of this, as people in this age in North America, we might ask, why all this fuss about the family? Currently, many of us have family that are scattered all over the nation, and some of us might even have family who we are considered close family that are living in other countries. It is nothing unusual for someone from Texas to talk about their brother in Boston and their aunt in Atlanta and perhaps a sister in Seattle. But in Palestine of Jesus's day, the family was close at hand. Children and parents and possibly even grandparents all lived together either in the same house or at least in the same neighborhood. Sons usually took up their father's trade and craft, and it was rare for someone to leave this unit. For Jews especially, the family was and still a very sacred institution with overtones of the family as a symbol of the nation of Israel. So, Jesus proclaiming that his family is not necessarily blood relations, but those who do the will of God, is somewhat scandalous. Jesus is saying something that on one hand may sound like a rejection of this sacred family, and on the other hand, a rejection of of a fundamental tenet of Judaism. Let's return to the middle of our passage there we have some accusations coming from the scribes who have traveled from Jerusalem these of course are the experts who have come to observe and watch what is going on and they make several declarations about how Jesus is casting out evil by using evil or that it is Jesus who is actually possessed Jesus questions their logic using some analogies of kingdoms being divided and households, and there it is again, that family unit, of households being divided into two houses, or even a house being broken into with a strong man bound and the house being robbed. And then he makes a proclamation about blaspheming. The Holy Spirit has an unpardonable sin. Those are the three major elements of this passage. But what does it all mean? Let's work backwards for a bit. The blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is one of those misunderstood passages, and it sounds rather vague as to what it is. Simply put, it is that declaring... Not, not questioning, but declaring that something, which is the work of the Holy Spirit, is something evil or perverse. It is not opening our eyes to see where God is working around us, and then subsequently declaring that work as evil. And the reason it is the unforgivable sin is because once you have closed your mind to the reality that the Holy Spirit is working in all sorts of ways, it is very hard to come back to an understanding of how the Spirit works in the life of the church and in our lives and in the lives of those around us. It's that constant declaring that this person is not forgiven, Or that healing didn't take place. Or that the work of the church is a sham. But what Jesus is doing is the work of God. And it is the breaking into this world of the kingdom of God in the here and now. And Jesus himself is the one breaking into the house of the strong man, for he is the stronger man who has come to plunder all the goods and treasures from Satan himself. There is a zeal about Jesus that comes and ends up being contagious with the disciples and with the crowds. But this zeal is also causing great alarm among many people, even his own family. And that is why we have this whole dialogue about who Jesus' family is. Jesus isn't rejecting his earthly family, but he is opening himself to all people to share in the inheritance of God and of his salvation. Those who do his will, those like you and me and many others, are the brothers and the sisters and the mothers of Jesus. But that also puts us into a tricky place. When we decide to take steps forward to do the will of God and to do it in an unflinching and undaunted way, it is very likely that we too will be labeled as people who are out of their minds. Some of those people may be our family and our friends. Others may be university professors and authors who hold debates to disprove the existence of God. It might be the small jokes or snide comments on television shows or political speeches. But whatever the medium is, there are a great many people, and I will dare say that there are also a great many Christians too, who are convinced that the church, when she truly engages as she should in this world, has lost her mind. This is where we all must realize that being the church, being Christians, is not easy. It never has been, and it never will be. When the church, or when we as St. Christophers begin to once again exhibit that zeal for showing others the love of Christ, there will be people we know, perhaps even other churches we know, that will think that we have gone off the deep end. This parish has been beset by many troubles, many hardships, many disappointments in years past from a fire that destroyed this church 37 years ago to some internal divisions to living life as a community in a partnership and then in the middle of a global pandemic this community made a very bold and brave decision to leave that partnership and stand As a self-sufficient parish once again and we are still here but we have been wounded ourselves but we are healing and we are still here but my friends it is time for us to recover that zeal that we once had and it was not all that long ago that you had it, and you knew it. And as we begin to not only reopen, but to unmask and return to a more normal mode of the liturgy, it is also time for us to take stock of what we are and are not doing for the kingdom of God and furthering the mission of the church. And yes, some may laugh or treat us with scorn. Others may think that anything we do is a last-ditch effort to save a dying institution. Our neighbors around the corner might wonder who their new neighbors are. And our friends might not recognize us. Or decide that they can't risk being associated with us because you may appear to be besides yourself. We can talk about programs for those who are here each week. We can make realistic dreams about monthly luncheons and coffee hours and parties and homes. That's all well and good. But it isn't the full purpose of the church. We need to come to grips that it is the people who are not here, not in this room, not engaging in fellowship with us or any other church in this area that we are to minister to, to embrace lovingly and to invite along. Archbishop William Temple said it best when he said, the church is the only organization that exists solely for the benefit of those who are still outside it. My friends, following the urging of the Spirit, let us go and invite those outside of this church to come here each week. Let the zeal of your faith drive you to do those things that are uncomfortable, that make you uneasy. And do it for the sake of the gospel. Do it so you can watch and enjoy the fulfillment of of our Christian hope, the coming of the kingdom of God right here in this part of the world.